<coughs> also friends you've already been told then uh, as the SAG concludes its series on the theme names and titles of the Lord Jesus Christ the subject tonight is entitled the Lord now some while ago I came across this statement which I believe to be very relevant to the subject we're about to consider and a statement read a Christian magazine published an article arguing that the Lordship of Christ is an inappropriate topic to bring up in the course of witnessing to the unsaved. The decision to make Christ Lord is possible only for those who have already trusted him as Saviour. And the article said, and so it argued that the gospel presentation should contain nothing about yielding one's life to the Lordship of Christ. As I gave some thought to this statement, I had to agree with John MacArthur, pastor teacher of Grace Community Church in California, who said, What kind of faith is it that permits a person having affirmed faith in Jesus as Jehovah God, that is, the Lord God, to continue in an unbroken pattern of sin and rebellion. Now having said that, that statement and John MacArthur's uh, comments, to which I wholeheartedly agree, it makes the subject, the concluding subject, one of great importance. In the light of the statement in that Christian magazine, as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to ask ourselves, what is our understanding of the title, the Lord? And to bear witness of the Lordship of Christ in this present evil world. These are two questions which all of us, if we love the Lord, should be answering. answering. What is our understanding of the title, the Lord? And also, to bear witness of the Lordship of Christ in his present evil world. Well, the Apostle Paul gave us the answer in Romans 10 and verse 9. Paul says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. <laughs> now, my understanding of this is that, if a person is not able to confess with his or her mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is doubtful whether that person is saved. And it would seem to me from this verse that the Lordship of Christ is clearly at the heart of all true saving faith. And it is also at the heart of evangelism. It therefore cuts right across an unbroken pattern of sin and rebellion on the part of all true believers in Christ Jesus the Lord. And I think if you love the Lord tonight and when you go out into the world tomorrow, if God spares, then you'll be surrounded, I'm sure, by countless souls who are heading for a Christless eternity. 
souls who will finish up in hell because they've heard nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the responsibility of all who believe in him to take that message to souls who are dead in trespasses and sins and need new life. The reason I was led to choose our reading, Romans 10, chapter 10, was because the words the Lord, which is our subject, are written in verse 9, and also because it includes the word confess. And furthermore, for the importance which the Lord Jesus himself attached to confession. In Matthew 10 and verse 32, he said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. So what are we to confess before men? And I understand the men we're to confess to are men who are unsaved and know nothing of him. And this is the words of the Lord himself. Yes, all of us have a responsibility to preach the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are unsaved. And I say it for another good reason. There are many out there tonight who... um, Many who are in positions of leadership, who expect to be respected because of their position. Now, that being the case, is it not right also that the Lord Jesus Christ, we should respect his title? And we should name his title to those who know nothing of him? Well, History has shown that to openly confess Christ as Lord in the days of the early church meant persecution and a trial of faith of the severest kind. Is that the reason why people say we should only speak of Jesus Christ to the unsaved? Is it because of fear? Is that then today? We note also from our passage in Romans 10. That there was no promise here to a a concealed faith. It had to be confessed or professed as truth with or from the mouth. Now I just wanted to get that quite clear dear friends. My subject tonight is the Lord. The Jews tell us that Moses is the greatest leader over the centuries. But was he? To the sinner, whether Jew or Gentile, who has been redeemed through the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then surely the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, is the greatest leader ever born into this world. And it's for this reason those who are being born again can and should call him at all times the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what are we to understand the words the Lord which, we are, which are recorded appropriately 747 times in the New Testament as designated to Christ, to Christ to me. What does the Lord mean designated, as is de- designated to Christ? <clears throat> Mr. Tom said we've done 12 series, <clears throat> 12 talks this, 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 this year. 
on names for Christ or titles for Christ. 747 times the word the Lord is mentioned in the New Testament. And I don't really have the uh, magazine Israel Today, which is published by Messianic Believers in Israel. And in there, over many, many months, few years in fact, they've been doing articles on a hundred names for the Messiah. So we should have been doing this well over hundred, well, hundred times, shouldn't we? Hundred months we should have been speaking on the different names for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we to understand the words of the Lord then to mean? Well, the word translated Lord in the Old Testament is Jehovah. And this is the Jewish national name of God. Jehovah the Lord. And it means the self-existent or eternal one. The word translated Lord in the New Testament is the Greek word kurios. Which means supremacy. One who is supreme in authority. One who is God, Lord, Master, controller of the universe and all that exists. This is the person we're talking about tonight, dear friends. God, Lord, Master, controller of the universe and all that exists. John MacArthur, whom I've already mentioned, says that it refers to someone who has power, ownership and an unquestionable right to command this I believe adequately sums up the Greek word kurios or the New Testament words the Lord one who has power ownership and an unquestionable right to command maybe that's the reason why people don't want to hear too much about the gospel it may well put a command upon it will put a command upon their lives and they're to serve him the Lord and master well having said this this uh, what this uh, the, the word curious means there is nearly uh, there is a, a nearly identical Greek term also sometimes translated Lord in the New Testament. And it is the word despotes, which is the root of our English word despot. And this word describes a ruler or master with absolute power over his subjects. You know, I don't mind being called a slave for Christ. All sorts of posh words are used in our uh, translations today. Servants, called servants, bond servants. No, we're slaves to Christ. And I think the reason why maybe the term slaves is dropped because of the John Newton story, which you're all being aware of, and the slave trades and so on and so forth. Not a nice word to use. Well, dear friends, let me say here and now, I don't mind anyone referring to me as a slave because I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ who is my ruler master who has absolute authority and power over me Professor Murray J. Harris in his book entitled Slaves for Christ 
distinguishes the two terms in this way. He says, clearly, despotes and curious largely overlap in meaning. Both may be rendered lord or master. And he then goes on to say, if we are to distinguish the two terms with regard to emphasis, then curious signifies signifies sovereign lord and despotes absolute lord. Well, there are many references in our Bibles to confirm this. At this point, I mentioned just two. In 1 John 13 and verse 13, our Saviour uses the first term in reference to himself. He said to his disciples, Ye call me Master and Lord, curious. And you say, Well, for so I am. And in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, The Apostle Peter uses the other term in parallel fashion when he said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, privately, or secretly shall bring in or introduce damnable heiresses. Listen, damnable heiresses, even denying the Lord, despotes, master, that brought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. This destruction has reference to either physical death or judgment at the return of Christ. Damnable heiresses. Even denying the Lord. So how important are these verses today where these two Greek words are used? The importance of this second verse speaks for itself. False teachers pretending to be true Christian pastors, teachers, evangelists, had infiltrated the church and they still do so today. They are described by Jude, the half-brother of our Lord, as ungodly men. In Jude verse 4 we read that. Ungodly men. Oh yes, they may be tripping around in front of their congregations with their robes and their funny hats, spreading their incense or nonsense, whatever you call it. But those same people, I would say, in many cases, are the false prophets of our day. Ungodly godly men what was their mission well it was to to deny the only Lord God Curios and our Lord Despotes Jesus Christ false teachers today still disown Christ as sovereign Lord that is Curios Today we have our false teachers who disdain any recognition of Christ as absolute Lord, despotes. And furthermore today, there are false teachers who misrepresent what the Bible declares is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know I'm speaking to the converted tonight. And maybe in the will of the Lord, these takes will go far afield. And so what we're saying, dear friends, is what we firmly believe true from God's own precious word. 
There are false teachers who disdain any recognition of Christ as absolute Lord and false religions who represent, misrepresent what the Bible declares is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. While the truth that he is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God, Lord, Master, Controller of the universe and all that exists, is seen in these three titles, each of which describes some great aspect of his work. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now if we're we're to understand Christ's Lordship, then we need to look at these three titles more closely. Firstly, that he is the Lord God describes his heavenly title. And in John, in John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verses 1 to 2, familiar to all of us I'm sure, we read of his supremacy. But the Apostle John informs us that he was the pre-existent son of God. He says, in the beginning, that was before creation, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Christmas has been mentioned tonight, but never mind. A babe was born. And that babe born in Bethlehem was the agent in creation. Through him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's what makes him so important to the believer tonight. And that's what makes it so important that we should tell the unsaved that in him is life and light in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who was in the beginning before the world began, before the world was created. The self, the pre-existent son of God. The source of light, of all life and light. He is, as one of the Christmas carols reminds us, God of God, light of lights, and was indeed begotten, not created. The Apostle Paul understood this to be the truth. In his letter to the Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 16, he writes, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and listen, for him. That was Paul's understanding of the Lord. And there is, and has been for some time, a growing tendency to address the Lord as Jesus only. And my friends, this is something which really grates on me. Is a sobering thought that in the Gospels, the only ones of whom it is recorded that they addressed him as Jesus are demons. And he instantly silenced them when he did so. And so we need to be aware, dear friends, of his proper title. Jesus? That was a term used by the demons. And the Lord had to rebuke them. To his disciples he said, Ye call me Master and Lord, 
And you say, well, for so I am. My dear friends, respect and deepest reverence are his due. And not only is he pre-existent son of God, but we are told by John in his first chapter that he was the incarnate son of God. For in verse 14 we read, And the word, that is Christ himself, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is what's so wonderful about the first advent. You see, the babe born in the manger in Bethlehem was the incarnate son of God. The writer of one of the camels, uh, carols sums out beautifully with the words, Our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. Or as Paul reminds us in his letter uh, to the Galatians in chapter 4 and verse 4, it was when the fullness of time was come that God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. To realize just what this means. That God, the eternal God, the eternal son of God, as it were, was made in the likeness of men. He was God manifested in the flesh, yet still the Lord of glory. Listen to the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He said in Isaiah 6 and 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's the incarnation, dear friends. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's his kingdom from whence he is ruler. And this being so, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What does the first advent of Christ mean to you, dear friends, tonight? It means an awful lot. It puts the Lord Jesus Christ in his rightful position as God manifested in the flesh. And that he would rule over his kingdom. For his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. Coming back to our three titles, we notice that he is not only called the Sovereign and Absolute Lord, which describes his heavenly title, but secondly, he is called Jesus. But listen, this describes his human title. Unto you is born this day a Saviour, said the angel of the Lord to those shepherds watching over their sheep. And this describes his earthly work. Concerning this earthly mother, the Virgin Mary, we read in Matthew 1.21, that she shall bring forth a son, and thou, that is Joseph, Mary's earthly husband, shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus is, is from the Hebrew, and means Jehovah saves. 
And this points therefore to the purpose of his first coming into the world. It was to save his people from their sins. And whilst this relates to the messianic promises made to Israel, it extends to all people of other nations. For all, says the Apostle Paul, right into the, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Due to the fall in the Garden of Eden by the first man, Adam, whom God created. The older mankind, without exception, are sinners in the sight of a holy God. The whole of mankind are guilty of breaking God's perfect law. Whosoever, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, or that means breaks also the law. For sin is the transgression, the breaking of the law. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, 4. Oh, God's word, the Bible, I mean, declared that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. It goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. That is physical and spiritual death leading to separation from God for eternity. That's the reason why we've got to go out and evangelize. That's one of the reasons why when I was first converted just over 50 years ago. I spent much time on street evangelism. Because those souls who were unsaved will die in their sin. And this will lead to separation from God for eternity. The Lord's people should be moved with compassion, as was the Saviour when he looked on the multitudes. But then, dear friends, the Bible gives us some good news. It is the glad tidings of great joy, which was announced by the angel of the Lord at the first coming of the Lord, uh, into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world in human form to save sinners. He came to save sinners from the guilt of sin through his own death upon the cross. The Bible describes that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is a taking away of sin. And the Bible now commands the older mankind to repent of their sin and to believe that the blood, only the blood of Jesus Christ can save from his awful consequences. He came to set Repenting sinners free from the bondage of sin. And to save them from the wrath of a sin-hating holy God. This I would suggest to you is his is human work. Jesus is the saving one. Now, th- the third, thirdly, the, the, the title Christ is the Lord, Jesus Christ. So thirdly, the title Christ signifies his, his Hebrew title. The first is heavenly type, title, the second is human title, the third is Hebrew title. You see, the, the term Christ is the Greek for anointed one. And similarly, in the Hebrew, we have instead the term Messiah, which also means anointed one. Now, being involved with a, with a Jewish mission, Messianic Testament to Israel, we use the word Messi, Messi, Messiah, Messianic. 
Because we're speaking to the Jewish people. And a lot of them, a lot of Jewish people, your ages, my age, have all suffered the loss of loved ones in the Holocaust. And who did they blame the Holocaust for? What who did they blame for the Holocaust? Christians. Mr. Hitler was a Christian. He was a Roman Catholic, so he must be a Christian. And so we don't use the term Christian too much. We talk about the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. It has far more impact upon the dear Jewish souls. Now this term anointing in the Bible was used for special services like that of priest or king. Israel in the Old Testament, they had their earthly priests who would offer daily sacrifices upon the altar to make atonement for the people's sins. In the Old Testament, Israel in the Old Testament, they had their earthly kings who would lead them into battle as they sought to subdue their enemies. And Israel in the Old Testament had their earthly prophets who promised through the preaching that eventually the Messiah would come to deliver them. Their message was a call to repentance on the part of the people from their sins. But their message was insufficient. It did not promise them that their sins would be taken away forever. You see, only the coming into this world of Christ, Israel's Messiah, would be sufficient to take away sins forever. You see, Christ being anointed one makes him the only one sufficiently capable to take away sins forever. You see, his was a once for all sacrifice. (coughs) Never need be repeated. It was a sacrifice which took place just over 2,000 years ago. It was a once for all sacrifice. Need never be, need, need to be repeated. And this is the reason for his first coming into the world. Was that the Lord Jesus Christ became a high priest of good things to come. By his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Says the writer to Hebrews. So the babe born at Bethlehem was the only one who was sufficient as prophet, priest and king who could be the the fulfiller of these wonderful things. As a prophet, he came with a message of hope. The hope of sins forgiven. As a priest, he came to put away sin once for all through the sacrifice of himself. And as a king, he is coming again to reign over this sad earth. And to eventually take his redeemed ones to heaven itself. And that for eternity. No wonder we sang tonight in one of the the hymns there. Happy people. Are we happy? Sure we are. Happy because we know that when this earthly pilgrim is over. When this earthly work is done. We shall be with the Lord for eternity. That should make us happy shouldn't it? So happy that we want to go and shout it from the rooftops. And we want to tell those dear souls out there who are in the valley of decision there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. It's a Calvary's cross where you begin when you come as a sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ.
my well, dear friends, having said that, six words sum up Paul's feelings or views of the Lordship of Christ in his own life. In Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, To me to live is Christ. Just six words for me to live is Christ. You see, when the risen Christ appeared to Paul uh, on the road to Damascus, he was converted. His immediate response was, Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord made it quite clear to Paul what he had to do. And so Paul became an ambassador for Christ. We read in Corinthians uh, 5.20. And it was for this reason he said, To me to live is Christ, with the added words, and to die is gain. So as true true believers today, uh, we are to understand uh, from Paul's statement that the Lordship of Christ is something very personal. It is to me. It is something very practical. It is to live. And furthermore, the Lordship of Christ is something very possible. It is Christ living in me. Now Paul is not saying here that for him to live is to follow Christ or to serve Christ or to be like Christ but rather he is saying to me to live is Christ. Praise God we're to follow him. Praise God we're to serve him. Praise God we're to be like him. But my dear friends, we're to live for him. Every moment of every day. I want to conclude with these final thoughts. Firstly, I believe the Lordship of Christ is also relevant to the matter of evangelism today. And I say this for this following reason. In the light of Christ's own ministry, that a humble spirit of unconditional surrender to his rightful authority as both Lord and Saviour is the very essence of genuine Christian faith. Let me repeat that important uh, point I've just made. In the light of Christ's own ministry, that a humble spirit of unconditional surrender to his rightful authority as both Lord and Saviour, is the very essence of genuine Christian faith. And secondly, because he is the Lord of glory, who was crucified on a Roman cross. Read about it in 1 Corinthians 2.8. In his very verse, the Apostle Paul tells us, That if the rulers of the age had had some spiritual wisdom, that is the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified him. But this they did. The Lord of glory died upon that cross. He was buried, but praise God, the Lord of glory rose from the dead. 
He had the victory over the enemy of sin. The victory over the enemy Satan and his hosts. And then over death itself, which is the last enemy. He is today the risen, ascended Lord of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, Lord, Master, Controller of the, of the universe and all that exists. He is the Sovereign Lord. He is the Absolute Lord. And because He is the Lord, says the Apostle in Philippians 2 verses 10 to 11, that the day is coming. Listen, 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 you atheists. Listen, you agnostics. Listen, you unsaved. Every knee shall bow. All things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every knee and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nonsense. All this business which is being spewed out in our universities and in our colleges and in our schools that there is no God. Total atheism. And don't tell me about, uh, have some sympathy for these poor agnostics who can't quite understand. No, dear friends, they're atheists. And that's a sad reflection of our world today. And yet we've been talking here, in fact, for the whole of the year, on names for the Messiah, names of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our conclusion. The day is coming when every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then thirdly, because the Lord, the day of the Lord cometh, says Zechariah verse 14 and 1. And on that day, the king, the Lord shall be king over all the earth, ruling in majesty, power, and might during his millennial reign over the earth. What a prospect. For we are the Lord's people. What a thought. What a challenge. For those who dare turn around and say. No God. No Christ. No Lord. We should not have this man to rule over us. What a thought. What a challenge. My dear friends, have you trusted Christ as Savior? Most importantly of all, is He the Lord of your life? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you. As we conclude another year of ministry, month by month, concerning the names, titles of the Lord of glory, 
to have been reminded that this same Lord Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning with the Father, who came into this world to save sinners, who is the Christ, we thank you that he is coming again. And he will take up his rightful position as God, as Lord, as Master, as Controller of the universe and all that exists. And on our part we pray that you will help us every moment of every day which we are still living this life to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. May each day, may we make it count for eternity because we are sharing this same wonderful Saviour with those who are still lost, dead in trespasses and sins. Father, we want to thank you. Ere that day, when you touched our hearts and lives and caused us to recognize that we at one time were poor sinners in the sight of a holy God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, the blessed Holy Spirit, came and witnessed to us, opened our eyes, led us into all the truth. And we came to put our trust in this wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the one who is coming to rule and to reign over his millennial kingdom. And truly, he will be recognized then as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Father, we thank you. These are great blessings to we who are your people. We want to thank you now in the Savior's name. Amen.